Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we're going to do a, a year-end review. We're going to talk about uh, what the markets have done this year. We're going to talk about some of the biggest surprises. We're going to contextualize the performance of the markets this year with what's happening kind of long-term. We're also going to talk about why we're bullish. But Justin, I got to say, this backdrop for talking about this gloomy year in the markets is perfect. Uh, for because the weather today is very appropriate. It's I don't know what it is in Fort Worth, but here in Bentonville, it's uh, about 10 degrees. The snow is coming down and the low is going to be negative one. So it's a perfect dreary, gloomy day to talk about this wintry bear market we've had. It really is. Uh, tonight and going into tomorrow is going to be the coldest day of the year here in Fort Worth. And note, if anyone listening is a Baylor fan, my apologies. Uh, you know, Baylor football had a little bit of a disappointing year, and they have to play their bowl game in TCU Stadium. Big rivalry between Baylor and TCU. So Baylor has to play their bowl in TCU Stadium tonight, and it's going to be about 14 degrees in the second half. So um, not the most fun situation there. Well, with that, let's get to it. So uh, this is going to be a very resource-heavy episode, so if you can follow along on our YouTube channel, uh, we'll have all the videos, we'll have all the links and, and images there. Uh, we'll also have a lot of the links to some of the resources we've talked about uh, in show notes. So JP Morgan's Guide to the Market is going to be big, as well as a couple of other, other uh, resources to kind of aggregate all this performance data. So the 10,000-foot level, uh, what has happened? So if you look at the S&P 500 year to date, um, it's down, this data is a little stale, so it's probably down closer to 20% because this is through uh, the end of November. Uh, there was kind of a run there at the end of November, but uh, according to this, it was down about 13%. It's probably down closer to 18%, especially considering the day that we're having today and we are recording this on uh, December 22nd. So the AC World XUS index, which is just basically the global world, is down 15%. Uh, EAFE, uh, which is just a developed markets index, is down 14%. Uh, Europe, XUK, is down 17%. And emerging markets is down 18%, 18.6%, so almost 19%. So it's been it's been tough sledding as an equity investor, regardless of what country you're, you're investing in across the world. It certainly has a pretty tough year and a pretty interesting and tough last three years. Um, and so always interesting to think through what happened this year. It looks pretty gloomy. What happened over the last two, three years and then go back 10, 20 years. So not a great year, as you said, though, Jared. Yeah. And the other interesting thing that I'll call out here is the dollar had an incredible year this year, uh, which is great for the U.S., but also not great for countries that do a lot of business internationally uh, or need to convert their profits back to dollars. So, uh, a lot of a lot of firms or a lot of countries, right? France, uh, the United Kingdom's return year to date was eight point seven in their local currency, but when you adjust it back to dollars due to the differential in currency between uh, the pound and the dollar, uh, the year to date return in U.S. dollars is actually negative four point five percent. So. 
And there, there's a lot of, uh, we'll, we'll have this in the show notes definitely, but a lot of uh, markets had better returns than the US on a local currency basis. But once you account for the uh, the strong dollar this year, uh, pretty much wiped out all that all those returns. So it's been, it has been tough sledding. So Justin, let's talk about next. And it's funny because bonds have been so boring. Uh, you know, really low volatility, really low interest rates, kind of, you know, and just slowly dropping, which has been good for price, you know, price appreciation of bonds. But this year is like hugely important. Like bonds, I would say, I would say like in my mind, bonds are the story this year, right? Like, like if there's one, like one story and we could talk about, you know, I think we'll talk about this later when we talk about our biggest surprise, but like bonds are, are a huge part of it. So I'm just going to run through the year to date numbers real quick. And then I feel like we'll spend a little more time talking here because right equity, equity volatility isn't, isn't a surprising thing, right? Even if you look at like, there's a great chart that talks about entry year drawdowns. Um, we're close to a bear market now. Bear markets happen every, every three to four years. So that's, that's really normal. So you know, well, well, the well, the stock market's down and it hurts a little bit. It's to be expected. I think bond markets where it's interesting, where there's more surprises and where you know the volatility is substantial. So, um, and these are all year to date through the end of November. But uh, the two year is down. Uh, the return is down four point two three percent. Five year is down nine percent, nine point three percent. Tips are down eleven percent. The ten year is down. Uh, 15% and the 30 year is down 31.6%. Justin, what do you make of that? Well, it's a unique event. It's uh, pretty historical and uh, we haven't seen anything like that. And you'll you'll share the 60-40 chart here in a few minutes. Um, I mean, we're on, We it's still possible depending on how this lasts. What do we have? Five trading days left in the year or six, something like that. Depending on how those days go, it is possible that we have the worst year for a diversified portfolio in almost 100 years. So, so back to the infamous 1929 uh, year, that is still in play. That that might happen. And so it's uh, it's also one thing I want to call out, Jared, is very, very big difference. Uh, what was the short-term uh, year-to-date loss compared to the 30-year? Yep. The two years down 4.23%. And the 30-year is down 31.6%. Okay. So when you think about bonds or fixed income, you can diversify across issuer. So are you buying this bond from a publicly traded company? Are you buying it from a really big company like Coca-Cola or a really small company like Whataburger? I, I don't even know if Whataburger issues uh, public, publicly traded debt like that. Um, or are you buying from a government entity, federal government, municipality? Uh, you can also diversify across duration. And so- with with that being said, massive, massive difference between the return of a two-year uh, fixed income instrument, a five-year fixed income instrument, and a 30-year. Um, so like most asset managers, when we think about our portfolios, we were obviously tilted towards a, a much more you know shorter duration than 30 years. Uh, but it's still a lot of pain in some of those shorter durations and it is so interesting to think about a negative 30% year on a 30-year uh, fixed income. No, that is just truly unbelievable. Yeah. And like, I, I would say like a big takeaway here is like we read all the different, you know, stock indices. We read all the different bond indices, right? Like you got to be sp super specific. When you say I own the market, what does that mean, right? Because if you own 
If you own uh, the S&P and two-year bonds, that, that's your version of a 60-40. You have a drastically different return than owning QQQ and 30-year bonds, right? So like, like everybody's, everybody thinks conceptually that they're a passive investor, but nobody actually owns the total global stock market index and kind of market cap weights it. We're all making concentrated bets and, and there's not even a unanimous definition of, okay, what is the market? But you, you kind of unilaterally, everything got, everything got slack this year, but especially longer term bonds. I want to repeat something you just said. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that very few people have this portfolio, but if you had QQQ and 30-year bond exposure, um, you were looking at potentially the worst year that you would have had in 200 years, probably going back to the Civil War. Um, so really a unique year, a historic year in a uh, you know difficult time. Yeah. And two, right? Like this is to be expected. So as a bond investor, right? Like, so if you hold bonds to maturity, price to like price fluctuations are temporary because they mark to market. But like, if you're holding these things to maturity, like you still get par value in maturity. So what happens is when you own bonds and, and, uh, rates go up, the bonds you have are less valuable. So the, so the price, if you're going to sell them on the secondary market has to adjust to meet the new interest rate that's higher. So you got to low, you got to lower your price. So that's kind of mechanically how, why higher yields uh, lead to lower bond returns in the short term, right? Because the current, your current portfolio of bonds has become less valuable in the market's eyes because you can get a higher rate. So, man, Justin, it's, I think like, you know, so stocks have been bad, bonds have been bad. Um is, I think now's a good time to just talk about, right, the 60-40. So we have this great chart. For- Before you do that, Jared, can I say something real quick? So I just created a hypothetical QQQ portfolio, which is US technology, by the way. So QQQ is just US really big tech companies. So for the last 12 years, they did truly amazing, um, unbelievable, historically good returns. And then they had a very bad year this year. But I do want to give a rosy picture. There was there were, there were some good things. Uh, I, again, I'm guessing that very few, if anyone had this portfolio, but if you had US targeted value exposure and then very short term, say two-year uh, bonds, well, your portfolio did really quite well this year. Um, you maybe lost 5%. Uh, and so I just want to throw that out there. Big, big difference. I, I want to repeat the phrase you said, Jared. When people say, well, I'm invested in the market, which market, what market, how many different markets, what's your exposure to each? Uh, that can mean so many different things. That's exactly right. And to like further illustrate this and to kind of just paint one last picture. So we talked about, okay, how have the global markets done? How has fixed income done? Let's talk about like US styles. So even within US, so even if you said hypothetically, I'm a US investor, okay, does that mean QQQ? Does that mean the Russell 2000? Does that mean the Russell 3000? Does that mean the S&P 500? Does that mean the S&P 500 with a value tilt? Um, and, and these, like, new, they seem like nuances, but they actually result in drastically different outcomes. So great example of this, uh, another great chart from JP Morgan's Guide to the Markets, but year to date, large value is down 3.7% and large growth is down 23.3%. Huge difference there. Small value is down 8.5%. Uh, small growth is down 21%. So, and a blend. So, and, and there's also mid cap is mid cap value is down 7.3%. Growth is down 22%. So, you know, worth highlighting, you know, and a blend is kind of effectively the average of, of those two. Um, 
but right, big disparity, even if, you know, across, even if you said, hey, I'm a US large investor or US small investor, depending on where you fit on the style box, basically meaning small cap uh, or uh, value or growth drastically changes your outperformance. Or, hey, I'm a value investor. If you're a value, large value investor versus a small value investor, your return is drastically different. But uh, one of the things that's inter- interesting to call out here is, uh, you know, Value's done better than uh, growth, and we'll talk more about long-term per- returns. But that that hasn't been this that's been the that's been the story over decades, but it hasn't been the story this last decade. So nice, nice to see a little value come back. Yeah, if you think about some of the advice you might see on you know a random investment blog, just buy index funds. And uh, as I think all of our listeners know, I I like index funds. We say a lot of really great things about index funds, but I want to highlight. There's a lot of different index funds you can buy. There's a lot of different indices that you can follow. And everything we've said in the last two, three minutes, again, QQQ and 30-year bonds, those are all, that could all be US exposure. So you could have no international exposure. And that portfolio has you know, lost almost 40% this year, whereas targeted value in the US in short-term bonds, uh, maybe it's lost 5%, 6%, 7%. I mean, we're talking about a 35% difference uh, between exposures that are in the U.S. We're not even going to international um, securities. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So, you know, know what you own and know what the market is, right? Know like what your definition of the market is and what you're invested in. But but even so, like that being said, it's been a tough, like, like it's been a tough year all around. Like and illustrate that point. Like we have this great chart from Bank of America um, and it annualizes, it, it was created in October. So it annualizes 2022 data for a 60-40 portfolio, which is kind of like the, I guess it was gold standards feels a little strong, but like it's just seen as like a very kind of common portfolio, you know, like the average retired investor, like if you're just going to set it and forget it, a 60-40. And of course, you know, Kind of what we were talking about, we can debate, okay, what is the 60 and what is the 40? But I think this is just S&P in the ag. And so it annualizes the return. So it's projecting for 2022, you know, a cumulative return of 30 minus 30%. And I don't know if it's going to end that high, but let's say I think year to date, it's down uh, close to 20%, which is still remarkable, right? Like this, this is one of the things that's, you know, really is the story here stocks and bonds being down simultaneously, right? So so with this blended drop of 20% with the 60-40 portfolio, let's let's say it ends up there. That would be worse than 08. That would be worse than the dot-com bubble, right? So so your paper losses, right? These aren't realized losses because you're not selling anything and you're a long-term investor, but your paper losses this year, if you were a 60-40 investor, your drawdown has been greater than the great financial crisis and the dot-com bubble. The last time we've seen the 60-40 with returns below 20% was only one other time in the last uh, last almost yeah 80 years. Uh, and that was in the early 70s. So these are significant returns, right? That's why, and I think that's why it's felt it's hurt so bad, is because you know, historically bonds have done well. Uh, and rates have moved up, or, or rates rates have been cut, which which moves bond prices up. But this this year has not been that. So there's a lot of carnage in the streets for uh, your your conservative investor, even more so if you're long bonds. That's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, just what an incredible year. 
Yeah, and not and not incredible in a in a good way, right? Um, so so we're you know we're with you. That's I mean we wanted to talk right. You can't do a market review without talking about what actually happened. Um, but I I do think I do think it's important we zoom out just a little bit because I want to a year matters, right? You know every every year it matters, but like if you're a de- if you're a decade long investor, like that's not it's it's not going to make or break you. Um, and so I want to, I want to zoom out and talk about investment returns over the last decade, right? So I want to talk about this. So large, large growth, uh, year to date's down 23%. And over the last 10 years, the annualized return is 15%. Large value is, uh, down 3.7% year to date, but up 11% on a 10 year annualized basis. Small value. Year to date's down 8.7%, but on a 10 year annualized basis, it's up 9.7% annualized, right? So, like this, both of these things can be true. You can have a terrible year and an excellent decade. And that's really what investing is it's remaining invested during the terrible years because you know a good decade's coming. And over a really long period of time, uh, the stock market does what it does well, which is return capital to shareholders, continue to find ways to innovate and grow as GDP expands. Jared, can I share some three-year numbers that are pretty pretty interesting? Yep. Okay. So the last three years in the market are a microcosm of just what the market does long-term, and it is really fascinating. So I want to go back to December of 19, so end of the year 2019 all the way to uh, our last full month, so end of November. So we are leaving out a, a pretty bad you know, first three weeks in December, but I, I just want to highlight this real quick. The S&P 500 is up almost 7% per year uh, during that time period. Earnings are up by almost a third. So in the last three years, the earnings of publicly traded companies have, have gone up substantially. And I want to highlight that because when you invest in, in stocks, what you're really interested in is, is you're buying a share of the earnings. That's why the stock market generally goes up because companies wake up every day. They provide value to their customers or clients and uh, earnings continue to increase. And so when you are an investor, when you buy stock, you are buying a share in future earnings. So in the past three years, the just overall return has been very positive, almost 7% per year. Earnings have gone way up. So what's interesting about that is the price to earnings ratio, the, the price that you're paying for earnings that you invest in has gone down. So in other words, it's much more attractive. Um, if, if you're looking just by PE ratio, you are able to buy the same amount of earnings for a better price today than you could three years ago. The market has got a little bit more attractive um, in that regard. Then, oh, by the way, dividends also up about 10% in the last three years. So those are just three incredibly rosy, good, positive numbers that I just shared. And think about what's happened over the past three years. We had one of the most historically bad, unique years this year. And then go back, obviously, the pandemic crash. Uh, that was also within the last three years. So we are talking about two market crashes that on average were, were down about 30% peak to trough. Um, so even though we saw two market crashes and both of those market crashes were, were quite substantial, in spite of those things happening, we still have a very positive three-year return. We have significantly better earnings. Dividends have gone up. So 
if you bought a portfolio and then lost your password and never checked it uh, for the last 35 months, things look pretty good. And if you, you know, just ignored all of the absolute insanity um, that's happened over the past three years in different markets, a lot of really difficult markets, uh, you're able to see, wow, this was this was an okay time period over over that three years. And Justin, this is why duration matching in portfolio construction matters. So like if you retired this year and you had an 100-0 portfolio, you were selling stocks at the worst possible time, right? But if you are a retiree, you should not have your, you know, maybe maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, depending on your risk tolerance, but you should have enough liquidity to where you're not in a position to where you're not drawing down on stocks when they are in a down market, right? So, you know, the three-year numbers look better, right? And the, the longer you hold stocks, the higher the odds that they have a positive return, but th- that's why your portfolio need to matches your duration, right? So if you're living off of this nest egg, you're going to need to create portfolio income, right? So d- some dividends and interest will help with that. Uh, you should have a strong emergency fund, um, but you should also have some really short-term assets that are very liquid and not subject to price fluctuations, right? Because like, like exactly like Justin said, if you put that portfolio to work this year uh, and it's all long-term assets and, and those long-term assets are fluctuating in value, which they do from time to time. Uh, that's a feature of investing, not a bug. Then you know your portfolio is not not well equipped to match your duration. So there's just another testament to you know th- considering your t- effective time horizon on different parts of the assets in your portfolio. That's right. Another way I would say that is financial planning should dictate how you invest rather than some market outlook, some prediction of where the market's going and how you or your advisor is going to somehow take advantage of that, even though they really can't. Uh, financial planning should dictate how your money is allocated. And I want to get a lot more specific. So I'm going to remove the words financial planning. Timeframes should dictate how you invest. Timeframes should be an authoritarian dictator. I mean, total control, total authority over how your money is allocated. So any funds that you need within the next two to three years, they shouldn't be in the market. You should have some some allocation. If if you need money for something, maybe you're retired or you're buying a house in two or three years, whatever you need money for, if it's if the if the deadline for that money is three years or less, it should not be in the stock market. No one has any idea what the market's going to do for the next three years. No one has any idea. And then let's go to another end of that time frame spectrum. So let's say funds are designated solely for the purpose of long-term growth. So maybe these are, if you have a bucket of money that you really are not going to spend or need for seven years or even 70 years or any time in between. So, so really long-term is what we're thinking about there. If that's the scenario, those need to be allocated for long-term growth. And you know, I'll make a statement here. I, I, I think you're crazy. If you're waiting for some market crash bottom to allocate those long-term funds, your baseline assumption with long-term funds, money that you don't need for a decade or longer, your baseline assumption should be that an evidence-based diversified portfolio is probably going up. Um, so again, I'll, I'll repeat the short part of that. Your time frame should dictate how you allocate money. That's exactly right. Yeah, And I mean, here's the thing, right? Is like, there's another chart here that talks about sentiment, uh, consumer sentiment, and it's exponentially lower than the end of last year. But like, like if you think about being an investor, your your price to earnings ratio is higher, your dividend yield is higher, your uh, forward expected return is higher, the fixed income yield is higher. Like your portfolio is better positioned 
today than it was a year ago, but it doesn't feel good, right? So that's the difficulty of timing the market. Um, so that's why remaining a long-term investor is definitely worthwhile, but also time horizon should dictate, uh, should play a big part in portfolio allocation. So it's been a tough year historically, right? You zoom out a little bit, it feels a little better, right? Because remember, we're long-term investors, so that helps. Um, I think it's fun before we talk about why we're bullish. Like, I'd be curious, what is like, what's the biggest surprise for you, like about this year? Um, maybe it's you know, like just about investing in general, or it could really be anything. Were there any kind of things that surprised you? And it might it might have even been something we already talked about. Um. I think I would repeat the um, statistic, and I can't remember exactly the chart on this, but large tech stocks. So that's, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, QQQ is an ETF that, you know, kind of encapsulates a lot of those positions. It was down around 40% year to date. And so I just want to, you know, highlight and go back to 2015, 2016, 2018, 2020 common sentiment was, well, just buy Amazon, just buy Apple. It's going to beat everything. Um, just buy the large tech stocks. And for a long, long time, that's exactly what happened. For a long time, that worked until it didn't. Um, and so, you know, I think I think that'll be the first thing I call out, but we've probably got a laundry list. So what's next? Yeah, I'm gonna. I have a chart. We'll put some numbers to what you said. So, Fang, which is everybody knows about Fang, the darlings: Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, you know, it was the place to be the investor in the 2010s, and so this is since December 2020. So, over the last year, the S and P since December 2020 uh, is down 17.93 percent. Fang is down 43.4 percent. Whoa. Okay. So I think that I was replacing that. I was mixing up Fang with QQQ. Um, yeah. Pretty amazing there. But, you know, it's just, just a testament. Like investing is hard. It's kind of like the story of like the tortoise and the hare, right? So like, and two, the last decade, it's, you know, Fang has probably looked better than the S&P, but, you know, it, yes. it's, it's, give, it's giving back a lot of the re excess return that it had, right? You, when you were missing out on the way, on the way up, you know, you, you're probably pretty glad you're missing out on the way down. And, you know, Fang is still better than the S&P 500 over the past 10 years. Um, but I want to highlight just how bad that year-to-date return is on, on Fang because eventually the earnings always dictate, you know, where returns go. Um, and Jared, if we go back to January, uh, late December of last year, so go back to the start of 2022, the price that you had to pay um, for the earnings you were getting from Facebook or you know Netflix, Google, or Amazon, you had to pay an unbelievable premium for for those positions compared to some boring companies, some some value companies. And eventually, the price you pay for earnings does matter. If you can buy the same amount of earnings in another part of the market for a fraction of the price, well, at some point that will probably be a really good value. Yeah. My biggest surprise is Justin. It's something we didn't talk about in the pre-meeting, a pre-show prep. Is crypto? I would say like the washout of like the biggest institutional player. Uh, we're recording this on December twentieth. Is has been extradited to the U.S. for securities fraud, wire fraud, and there's billions of dollars of holes in the balance sheet. Right. This company was doing 
Super Bowl commercials a while ago. So I think my biggest surprise is how quick it all came crumbling down. But here's here's the interesting thing for me is my biggest surprise is how quick it all how quickly it all happened and how the media and our clients have gone radio silent. Like I we didn't get a single question this fall about uh about crypto, right? We had a lot of time leading up to it because there was the mania people were missing out, but like that's all gone away. Um and it's interesting because you know, we've talked about crypto on the podcast before. You know, I'm bullish on its applications. It's kind of like the early internet. I don't understand where the opportunity set is. I know it's significant and it's going to change things, but don't know how. But, you know, if anything, I, I it's kind of funny because I'm more bullish on crypto than I was a year ago because a lot of the excess and the fraud has been washed away. A lot, you know, interest rates are higher. So there's just not these crazy money going at these startups with any, you know, there's hopefully no longer the equivalent of pets.com, right? The crypto pets.com. That was the, you know, the same thing that was happening in the 2000s. But Right, I, so I'm I'm longer term bullish, but man, it has been ugly for crypto. Not just in terms of uh, year to date performance and just down even more than Fang, but also just in terms of sentiment. Like it's it's definitely a crypto uh, crypto winter again. But it's it's funny because you know a lot of times when prices are cheap is the best time to be interested, uh, and when prices are expensive, it's probably the worst time to be interested. But just natural human behavior: when something goes up, you think it's going to persist, and when something goes down, you think it's going to persist. Uh, and equilibrium is probably somewhere in between. So I'd say my biggest surprise is just how quickly crypto was essentially eliminated from consciousness, despite how big of an asset class it still is today. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I think I had two conversations about crypto. One of them was with a client. And my general sentiment was, I'm really glad that we don't allocate our client funds in cryptocurrency right now. And our last podcast we did on it, we explained why. Um, so you can go back and listen to that. But there's just not a great you know, publicly traded security option uh, with it right now. Now, the other thing that I said, though, is, yeah, I'm glad we didn't allocate you know, any part of our uh, portfolios to it. But I also, just like you mentioned, Jared, this is not the most popular thing to say you know, right now. I still do think there's use cases where some of the, you know, potential ways that this plays out are, are really useful and I'm not ready to throw it away forever. I'll, I think I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's right. I feel the same way about international investing. It's been a tough go, but I'm not ready to throw it away forever. Oh man. And I want, yeah, I'm all about international investing right now. <laughs> have we, have we talked about that yet? No, no, no. no this we'll is, get to and, that in a little bit. And this is the last part of the podcast. We're going to talk about why we're bullish, right? And the reason we're talking about why we're bullish is because negativity sells, right? There's a million people you can look up. There's, you know, recession fears, rate hikes, contraction of housing, right? There's a million the economic uh, insecurity, political instability, a gridlock Congress, there is a laundry list of things you are aware of and that the media tells you you should be afraid of. So instead of, you know, fueling that fire, we're going to spend the last, you know, few minutes talking about why we're bullish. Uh, Justin, what what would you say if somebody asks you, you know, like, uh, of course, as a long-term investor, you always got to be bullish, but especially kind of in light of what's happened this year, why are you bullish? I think I'm bullish because of the price that we can pay today for earnings of great companies all over the world. Um, I'm really excited about what some of these incredible companies all over the world are going to do between now and 2040. And so that, that really gets me pumped up and it makes me want to be a massive buyer of equities over the next 20, 30 plus years. 
And I'll share a quick story on that. Uh, so I want to say this was 2019, maybe 20 early 2020. Uh, I want to say it was right before the pandemic. And I did a just a really brief phone interview for an article in Forbes or Investment News. I can't remember which one. So in this article, maybe it was Forbes. Uh, I'll try to find it if I can, uh, but no promises there. The author was writing about allocating money to oil and gas stocks in the context of ESG and how oil and gas is dying and you never want to be invested in oil and gas. And my basic premise uh, when I was when I was chatting with the author of this article was, I, I mean, of course we want allocation to energy and oil and gas. Of, of course we would want to keep our allocation there. One, it's severely depressed. Two, it's not going away anytime soon. And that's not a political statement of any kind. Um, but the main premise was, if you're a passive diversified investor, of course you would want to keep exposure to one of the 10 industries within the U.S. economy. It's very low right now. And I don't want to share that. My intent in sharing that is not to take a victory lap because oil and gas stocks are up, what, like 70% this year? Um, so that's not the reason I share that. But I share it because that same principle applies really well today. Uh, in 2019, 2020, whenever this was, you know, pre-pandemic, a couple years ago, you were just crazy to have oil and gas exposure. But again, my basic premise there was, I mean, it's one of the 10 sectors in our economy. Of course, you should keep some exposure there. And right now, you can buy a lot of earnings for a very attractive price. It would be ridiculous to just remove that from your portfolio. And obviously, oil and gas up 70% or so this year. So it, it looks really great now. But I want to take that idea and apply it to some international stocks, emerging markets, um, some of the large growth stocks now that are at a more attractive price and still some of the some of the value stocks. So all over the world, you're able to see two things. You're able to see a pretty difficult year with bad returns, lots of lots of negative returns this year. Right. But you're also able to see a second story hidden in there. And that is you're able to buy earnings from really incredible companies today at a more attractive price than you could a year ago. And so I want to repeat that same idea and, and that same idea that was true with energy, oil and gas stocks a couple of years ago. Well, now it's true, you know, in a lot of places. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like great example of this. Like I, I agree with you, right? Like the go forward prospects, like forget about the year that happened. Just look at the data and look ahead. There's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, right? Like, like if you look at the for, the forward price to earnings ratio, uh, the latest is 17.6. Uh, so it's still slightly above its 25-year average of 16.8%. But last year is 22x. So it's well above its historical average. So a lot of that, a lot of that excess valuation has kind of come back, which is part of why we had a bad year. But now we have a now we have a closer forward PE. The question is, okay, how much have earning estimates been moved? Remains to be seen. Um, you know, how how soft or hard is the Fed landing going to be? A lot of speculation there. But, you know, conceptually, we're, we're, the valuation is starting to come down a little bit. Um, so, right, I, I feel good about that. And then, I mean, Justin, you, you talked about it, right? Valuations have come down. That's really good. But, like, one of the things I want to focus on was, like, it was also something we talked about earlier, which is why returns have been so bad. Bond yields moving up, right? Like, that is huge. Like for the long-term investor, right? That moves the needle in your portfolio. I'm going to get numbers here. But so at the end of last year on a two-year bond, 
you can make 73 basis points. That number at the end of November is now 4.38%. Right? At the a 10-year bond, at the end of last year, you can make 1.52%. Now it's 3.68%, right? So yield curve is is inverted, uh, which is always preceded a recession, but you know, uh, so that that's worth noting. But Right. Like the 40, you know, we use the 60 40 as the example, not that we recommend that or that everybody's client portfolio is invested in that. The 40% of your portfolio has been pretty much doing nothing for a really long period of time. Even if you were a 30 year bond investor, 1.9%. So real net of historical inflation and not even excess inflation that we've had these past few years. But right. So the 40 has just been a drag. Right. So now, now yields are starting to look, starting to look interesting. Right. And then the other thing is like, okay, cash looks interesting. Um, right. You can, you can have a high yield savings account that's paying you three and a half percent. Keep it kind of keeping pace with inflation or you're, you're still losing a little bit on nominal, but just it's, you know, this inflation is not, it's not a long term thing and yields are moving up, which is really exciting. Right. So the, the 40 is really, really, it's gotten exponentially more compelling than, than it was last year. I, I would definitely say that's incredible. And the other thing that's got me super bullish is I would say international. International is really exciting. Um, so if you look at the, so we talked about price to earnings, right? Basically, you know, a, you're you're buying the same dollar of earnings and the more earnings you buy uh, for the same price, you know, typically your return is better. Um, so the, the price to earnings differential between US and uh, the MSCI World X US is two standard deviations. So the cheapness of international relative to the US, it's cheaper than it's been 95% of the time over the last two years. So it's like statistically significant that the that international is cheaper. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? There's a lot of inflation uh, internationally. There's a lot of political instability, right? Things don't get cheap uh, because everything's going well. There's pessimism about the future, right? But there's there's always a reason to be pessimistic. Um, and the other interesting thing is dividend yield. So, you know, the dividend yield is 1.7% higher on a basket of uh, international stocks versus US stocks. So, right? So the portfolio income is even higher. So your starting valuation is lower and your dividend yield is higher. So international to US is very, very cheap by historical standards. And, you know, as, as investors with a, with a value tilt, uh, that gets us excited. Yeah, that's pretty unbelievable. Um, there's a famous quote. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. Maybe it was Howard, Howard Marks, but... Um, the quote was something along the lines of the market never recovers. The, the stock market typically doesn't have a recovery when things are bright. When the lights are on, things look good. Instead, the market recovery happens in pitch black, but it's one shade lighter than it was yesterday. And so you think about all the big market crashes and then the subsequent incredible market rallies that recover them. So 2009, um, early 2000s, and then obviously in 2020, it's not, it's not that the market, oh, things look good. The lights are on. We can see where we're going moving forward. So now the market's going to go up. No, you can't see where you're going at all when the market rallies. Uh, typically, it's not, it's not light out. You're not able to see good news, but instead, it's one tiny shade less bad. And, and that's when things happen. So remember that as an investor, uh, we don't know, you know, is, is this going to be the bottom is December, this little bounce down, is it going to go way up in the next 12 months? We don't know. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, 
But uh, we do know that international stocks, when they do eventually post some really good returns, because we do have great companies that are headquartered outside of the United States that we are interested in having a share of their earnings, right? We don't know when they're going to explode in value, but it is not, it is not going to be, okay, well, all of the geopolitical conflicts are now over. We have peace. It's all resolved. Oh, everybody now has access to clean, affordable, accessible energy. We're not going to, oh, inflation is fixed. Their local currencies are all much stronger. We're not going to see all of these checklist things that are currently bad. We're not going to see them flip to good and then returns get perfect. If history is any indicator, well, it's things are still going to be pretty tough and there's going to be reasons for pessimism and stock prices are going to increase anyway. That's usually how it goes. So remember that. If you look at the US market, uh, I got to find the chart, but the US, uh, the stock market bottoms before the recovery has, before the economic recoveries happen when there have been recessions. So those two things don't happen in lockstep, right? So the stock market is a forward-looking machine. So it's pricing in the future and making assumptions about the future. Um, and the reason why the returns are going to be good as an international investor is because you owned it when it was cheap, right? If you buy it once it's once it's already grown and it's gotten expensive, your go-forward returns aren't great. So that's why you don't performance chase and that's why you remain diversified. Um, Jared, can I read the quote real quick? Okay, I found the quote. It is Jeremy Grantham. And this is, I mean, this is legendary. He said this in March, 2009, just before the market bottom. So he said this in one of the worst time periods in the US economy in the last hundred years. And he said, Jeremy Grantham said, be aware that the market does not turn when it sees the light at the end of the tunnel. It turns when all looks black, but just a shade less black than the day before. So Jeremy Grantham said that in March of 2009, and the market now 13, 12 years, whatever later, is uh, about 5x what it was when he said that. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's all, I mean, that's the best way to go out, right? We're we're bullish about the future. It's been a tough year, um, but we're going to keep doing market reviews every year. And hopefully, you know, next year we have a lot, lot better re results to report, but this is also just part of investing, right? And zooming out and knowing, hey, what do I own? Why do I own it? Hey, this year has been bad, but remembering, hey, this is one year of many and the last 10 years have been excellent to be an investor. So just continuing to, to, to pull yourself out of the long-term or the short-term news, the media cycle, the pessimism, and just remember why you're a long-term investor and why you need to be op optimistic is, is always good. And one other quick note is next year, you know, we hope that the market review is, is a little bit better. But man, if you're 40 years old, 50 years old, and you are putting substantial dollars into the market, every month or every two weeks, uh, you would actually hope that next year's market review is not better. The greatest thing that you could possibly have happen if you are a non-retired person that is making money and investing heavy dollars every month, every quarter, the greatest thing that could happen for you is a multi-year market downward trend and you get to buy at lower prices. Not as fun if you are 65 and you're now spending your portfolio. Uh, but interesting to keep that perspective. Yep. And if you're 65 and you are retired, that's why you need an advisor that's helping you build a portfolio that's duration matching. <laughs> so 
Always love hearing from our listeners. Uh, this will be after the holidays, but uh, happy holidays to you all. We appreciate every one of you. Uh, and we're getting a lot of good podcast ideas uh, and good feedback and we're making and tweaking and building. So we love hearing from you, even if you don't have a podcast idea, uh, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. And we'll see you next year. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.